All right, let's pray, shall we? Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for your creation. It's amazing. It takes our breath away. Never gets old. Uh, nature, I mean, is beautiful, but then us, your, your creatures that you created, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And seeing these children and babies and just how beautiful they are, God, and how fragile life is and yet how amazing it is. We just praise you for being such an awesome God. We praise you for forgiving our sins and taking away our guilt and setting us free for those who repent and put their faith in you. We praise you for that and for, for changing our sin nature, transforming us to actually want to keep your commands and to love you and follow you. You are too good to us and we just thank you for it, Lord. Amen. We're on uh, Charismatic Heresies, part three. Uh, so I, I encourage you, anytime I do a series, to please listen to the other parts, because oftentimes we lay groundwork, and you might have questions today and be like, oh yeah, what about this and this? Well, I probably already brought it up and explained it and went into a lot of scripture on it. So, uh, so I would just really encourage you to do that. You can find our, our podcasts called... Uh, the Rivers podcast, and it has our logo, KCC the River, on it, you, and that's on any device that plays a podcast. And then also, um, you can just go online on your computer to kcctheriver.com and check out previous messages uh, to see more groundwork laid down on it and a lot of scripture to boot. Um, so again, don't be alarmed by the word heresy. It's just quicker than saying uh, addressing charismatic false teachings. Uh, some heresies are very bad, okay? Some heresies deviate from the essentials of the faith and what the gospel is and, and, and that Jesus is God incarnate and that he's the only means of salvation. Those things divide our faith with others, and they should, um, because if you're outside of those things, sorry, if you're outside of those things, uh, then you're outside of the faith, um, but then heresy simply means false, in error. And so there are many heretical things that I've spoken before. And, and that doesn't mean you're kicked out of the faith. And there's many heretical things we can believe sometimes, and we're just in error on those things. Does that make sense? And so um, don't be super alarmed by it. Uh, in the first week, we looked at kind of this one phrase and everything that it leads to, which is, uh, a common saying in the charismatic movement, and again, I'm saying all of this as a charismatic who believes in the gifts of the Spirit for today, who believes that God can heal today when he chooses to, um, who, who believes that signs and wonders can still happen today. I just believe it's within the confines of 1 Corinthians 12, which says that the Spirit can apportion as he wills, not that every single person can operate in every single one of these things, but that the Spirit can apportion when he wills, when it's his timing. And so the first week we looked at this, which is a heretical statement, I believe, which is Jesus did everything as a man, yielded to the Spirit, to show you that you can do everything he did as a human, yielded to the Spirit. And we kind of just broke that down and looked at a lot of scriptures to show that even though it sounds kind of good, it doesn't make scriptural sense. And it doesn't, it doesn't jive with what scripture taught. And from that is derived that you can also live a sinless life just like Jesus did where Scripture refutes that, and even though we've been changed from sinners into saints, John still tells us, even in that state, don't say that you never sin. 
because he recognizes we still struggle, we still battle against the sin nature. And so, um, and then it would also say, each one of you individually, you can all heal the sick just like Jesus did. You can command the weather just like Jesus did. These are all heretical things that come from this teaching that Jesus did everything to show you you could do it the same way. We looked at a lot of scriptures that showed that's not why he did those things. He did all these things to demonstrate who he was and to tell us, listen to my words, which were namely, repent of your sins and turn to me. I'm the only means of salvation. Um, then last week, we, we looked at um, several uh, heretical statements that are tossed around in the charismatic movement a lot. I haven't been naming names in any of this, and that's because uh, I believe that many who espouse to these things are true believers in the Lord and love the Lord. And I told you, if you're able to listen to them and still recognize some of those errors and still love them as a brother or sister in Christ and still glean from them, then go ahead and continue. That's no problem. Um, but if it's influencing you wrong and you've really bought into some of these things, maybe take a break and listen to some other teachers um, for a bit. Uh, so another one that we addressed last week was we always know that it's always God's will to heal any person at any time. And we just demonstrated through Scripture that that is not the case. Um, and uh, another thing that happens is people just want to take three and a half years of Scripture and that's it build all their theology around three and a half years of Jesus and his specific ministry for a specific time and throw out the rest. Everything else that the Bible says, and some of them won't blatantly say that they're throwing out the rest, but they'll actually say things like, well, yeah, but this part doesn't jive with what we see from Jesus, and Jesus is more clear, so we'll stick with that. Instead of realizing, no, the whole counsel of Scripture is, is God's word to us. And it's all good. And Jesus affirmed that the Old Testament was God-breathed. He affirmed this. Um, and so uh, another one we looked at last week was the gospel's not whole unless physical healings are happening, um, which is a very egregious one to me. I, I, uh, I don't understand that one and how it can be espoused um, because the gospel message can be summed up pretty quickly and it has nothing to do with physical healing. It's that Jesus came to die for your sins. If you repent, put your faith in him, he can wash you of your, your stain, of your sin, and give you new life in him. Okay, it's, it's pretty simple. There's more to be explained, sure. There's, there's more we can dive into, sure. But it has nothing to do with physical healing. And then obviously we, we went at some people's sacred cow last week and addressed, by his wounds I am healed. And I think I demonstrated pretty clearly through scripture, um, that that is not talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. It's talking about healing from your iniquity, healing from your rebellion, healing from your wickedness, that that is what it's addressing. So if you have a hard time hearing that right now and you weren't here last week, please go back and listen because we have a lot of scripture to back this up and to, to demonstrate that this was not talking about physical healing. And Peter even confirms that in the New Testament for us. So, Today, it'll take a little bit to get to actual scriptures. Normally, you know, we have a lot of scriptures. We do have a lot today, but, um, but first, I'm just going to talk about some more practical things. And this one heretical thing, it, we didn't even need to look at the direct scriptures. There was just too much that contradicts it. So here's the first one. Common saying in many charismatic movements, um, God can only give what he has. And so they'll say, like, Jesus had peace in the storm because in heaven there's peace, so he was able to give peace, and God can only give what he has. 
And essentially, if you follow that line of argument, if you have peace, you could calm a storm. If you have that same peace, you could do likewise. Um, But then they'll say, God can only give things that he has. And so they'll say, God has no disease, so he can't give diseases. God is not blind, so he can't give blindness. God will never die, so he can't give out death. He doesn't have a plague. He can't give plagues. He doesn't have sickness. He doesn't have distress. This is um, childhood type of arguments that if you just follow them and keep going, he's never needed to be forgiven. Therefore, he can't give forgiveness. He doesn't have it. Uh, He's never needed to be punished. Therefore, he can't give punishment. Okay, these things just don't make sense and they fall apart. And there's so many scriptures that refute this that I, I didn't even look them all up. So we'll just do a summary. Um, and then obviously the, then I've heard this one over and over too is that God never causes storms natural disasters it's never him and their whole argument is how many storms did Jesus start none he calmed them therefore God calms storms doesn't start them it's like wow that sounds really good on the surface level except that's three and a half years of history and we have times where God literally caused a storm and said that was me Anybody remember the flood that wiped out all men, women, and children? Okay, and, and here's, here's the problem is people just say like, oh, well, that's different. We're in a new period, a time of grace. No, it's not. You are under grace if you've repented. You're kept specifically from the wrath of God to come. That's it. it Jesus even then promises you'll experience tribulation. You're going to experience the wrath of man, the wrath of Satan, all kinds of tribulation. But the wrath of God, that final judgment, you're protected from it if, in fact, you have repented and put your faith in his blood alone. That's a beautiful, amazing promise. But we're even promised by Jesus, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have wrath of man, wrath of Satan. Those things will happen. Um, But... uh, To then say that all disasters, all diseases come from Satan, not God, is going beyond the text of Scripture. What is also foolish would be to swing the other way and say all disaster, all natural disaster, all diseases all come from God. Again, what's what's the phrase we kept saying last week? Says who? Does Scripture teach that it all comes from God? Or does Scripture not teach a balance here? That... Sometimes it simply comes from we're in a fallen world. Sometimes it actually comes from Satan. And sometimes it actually comes from God. That's what scripture shows us. And we see examples of this all throughout. So my encouragement to you is you don't need to figure it out. Unless God blatantly tells you it's because this and this. And listen, anytime some of you sick or or have a disease or something, all you have to do is say, am I living in blatant unrepentant sin? If you are, then repent. If not, you don't have to worry about why this is happening. Just glorify God in the meantime. Just glorify God. Just praise Him in the midst of pain. All right, so again, we don't need to dive into every single scripture reference on it, but God caused a storm that wiped out all men, women, and children, uh, minus eight of them. God caused plagues, diseases, and natural phenomena like the weather to wipe out Egyptians. He said that he would, he would put disease, famine, war, sickness, and storms upon Israel if they disobeyed his ways and turned to all the... 
pagan worship, which they did, and sacrificed their children on, alive on this burning altar. They did all kinds of wickedness. And God said, I will be the one who brings these things on you. So when he takes credit for it, give him credit for it. He's actually doing it. Again, this, just, this is a common thing I've heard so many times. God can only give what he has, therefore he never gives diseases. And I'm just like, I can think of like 50 scriptures off the top. These are all off the top of my head. I can find way more. I'm just referencing them, and you're all aware of them. He told Moses in the burning bush, he said, I can cause someone to be blind, and I can cause them to see. Multiple times he gave Old Testament heroes of the faith extraordinary strength to do what? Wipe out wicked people. And he put that strength on them. God gave a tormenting spirit to King Saul. He took credit for it. Whether or not that tormenting spirit was an angel or a fallen angel, but he gave permission and actually sent it to torment Saul because of Saul's sins. But God took credit for it. God put diseases on the Philistines for stealing the ark. He struck Uzziah dead for touching the ark to steady it. Struck him dead because it was forbidden to touch this holy thing that represented God's presence and were so unclean. Before him, he just put his hand on it, and God struck him dead. And that's what the text says. It wasn't something else. It was God. God took the life of Bathsheba's firstborn son as a punishment for David's sins. He drove King Nebuchadnezzar insane because of his re refusal to acknowledge God, even though God made himself very clear to Nebuchadnezzar and showed signs and wonders and did amazing things through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he refused to acknowledge God and took credit for his kingdom. And he was driven to insanity. By who? By God. Um, God allowed Satan to touch Job and his family. Even though God didn't cause it, he allowed Satan to touch him. God allowed a lying spirit, wherever that came from, he allowed a lying spirit to go and lie to Israel's prophets. Because these were prophets who were speaking presumptuously and they were saying all kinds of lies and they were saying, God told me. And he said, actually, you want, you want to lie? Fine. I'm going to give you a lying spirit who's going to speak even more lies and keep you guys in your blindness. And this was a judicial punishment upon Israel. And again, people say, well, that's Old Testament. We're in a time of grace now. Well, Jude brings up uh, an argument in, in the book of Jude, where he says, basically, don't mess around, don't play with sin, because, and he uses these words, Jesus killed Israelites in the desert for disobeying him. And he uses the word Jesus. When you go back to the text, it says Yahweh. Yeah, Father, Son, and Spirit are Yahweh, are God. That it, so all of these things that happened in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. They're all one and the same. They did everything together. He's been there from the beginning. Only believers will be protected from God's wrath, from God's specific wrath and judgment. In general, nations, a whole nation who would obey God in his ways, they will be more blessed. You would be more blessed in, in work that you do. You'd be more blessed in your family dynamics, of course. These things are true. But there are exceptions that still... Uh, evil can befall you. Still terrible things can happen. Diseases can happen. Likewise, a nation who overall does evil, evil will befall them. But it's not always the case. Some evil nations prosper. In the New Testament, 
Jesus rebukes people to their face a lot. He tells them their terrible fate to come a lot. He tells the Jewish leaders that upon them, all the blood of the righteous from Abel all the way to Zechariah will be upon their hands. And then he tells them, as a result, not one stone will be left upon another and judgment will come. And who was the judgment from? It was from God, even though he used other means and King Nero and all these things. But, but Jesus took credit for that disaster. He said, had they accepted the Messiah, it wouldn't have happened. And so Jesus took credit for it. Um, Jesus blinds Paul when he shows up. When, when Paul sees Jesus, blinds him. But because he can give blindness, even though he does, he's not blind himself. It's just a, a silly argument. Um, God strikes Herod dead in the New Testament. One of the Herods, they, a lot of them went by the name Herod. It, was, it became a title, like Caesar. Um, strikes, strikes him dead for taking credit um, for basically they were calling him a god, and then God just struck him dead. Uh, the Holy Spirit strikes Ananias and Sapphira dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're standing there in the presence of Peter, and Peter tells them, God's going to take your life. I mean, it's clear from the text. It was the Holy Spirit who struck them down. Paul tells the Corinthian church for making light of communion, and, and you know, some people get worried about this, like, oh, am I doing it in an unworthy manner? Well, first off, anybody who takes communion, you should be recognizing the blood of Jesus. Of course, you should be recognizing what he did for you. But the Corinthian church in specific, they had this, this meal that someone was laying out, and it was to be shared exactly the way the apostles did, where each person takes a bit of the bread, and each person just takes a sip of the wine, and it goes around. That's how it was supposed to be done. Well, a bunch of them, a group of them, were showing up early and eating all the food, which was supposed to be for communion, not for a meal, and drinking all the wine and getting drunk off of it. And Paul said, some of you have actually died because of this sin that you're doing. And Paul had that revelation that they've actually died because of this, because of judgment came on them for doing this. We know that Paul was afflicted in some way by Satan and that God allowed it. It's clear from the text, very similar to Job's story. Jesus says that he will pour out many diseases and disasters at the end of the age when he returns. And he is the one taking credit for it. He will pour them out. Um, Jesus speaking to one of the churches in Revelation, which was a church that existed back then, and there was this woman calling, uh, who was named Jezebel, and she was calling herself a prophetess, and she was lying and turning people um, from Jesus, from following the Messiah. And Jesus said, I'm going to strike her with sickness, and everybody who follows her teachings, I'm going to strike them with sickness, and they're going to die. Jesus. Jesus said it. Again, a lot of people want to take the three and a half years and ignore what he said in the book of Revelation. Um, and then, of course, Jesus will return with flaming fire and a sword and with wrath. Um, sorry, heavy, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> but you're, you are saved from the wrath of God. You're not saved from the wrath of man. All the apostles were martyred. Very bad deaths, except for John. But they were martyred from the wrath of man, from the wrath of Satan. They were martyred. They weren't protected from those sorts of things. They went through trials, tribulation, pain, affliction, all kinds of things. They went through it all. They weren't protected from that. 
But the wrath of God, that's what you're protected from. And it's enough. It's enough to be protected from his wrath. Now, Solomon said some beautiful things about uh, what he was observing in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I once heard a preacher say, because basically they didn't like the theology of Ecclesiastes, they said, I'm pretty sure this is when Solomon went mad and had turned his back on God. And I was like, well, how convenient that you figured that out. Um, where instead, it is an amazing book of philosophy where he just talks through issues and he comes to a final beautiful conclusion to all of it. But a lot of things he just throws out there and says, here's what I've observed. And he just leaves it. And you're like, that's heavy. And he doesn't give an answer to it until the very end of Ecclesiastes. That's why I, I, I said a few weeks ago on Facebook, the Bible was never meant to take one verse and stick it on your refrigerator. It, it just wasn't meant for that. Verses were not added until 500 years ago. They didn't exist. Did you know that? Chapter and verses, those didn't exist in, in original manuscripts. People added them to help us reference, and I'm okay with that. But unfortunately, it's led to a lot of heretical teachings because somebody takes one piece of scripture and all the context is gone. The book of Romans was always meant to be read 16 chapters. Again, the chapters didn't exist. It was meant to be read as a single book explaining thoughts from start to finish. It was never meant to take one thing and say, I can apply this to every situation. There's a whole context around all of it. Even the message that Jesus brought cannot be fully understood without the context of the entire Old Testament. It can't. A lot of things just don't make sense without the rest of the context of the Word of God. But in Ecclesiastes 7.15, we see this. In my vain life, Solomon speaking, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So Solomon's like, what gives? Why is there a righteous guy who dies young? And why is somebody doing horrible, wicked things and they're excelling in life? Why, why is this happening? Um, next, we have Ecclesiastes 8.14. There's a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 3. <clears throat> but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him, before God. It is the same for all. Next. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. The same event. Here Solomon acknowledges and recognizes that the same bad events happen to everybody across the board. It just happens to everybody. It happens to the clean and the unclean, to the, him who sacrifices, him who doesn't sacrifices. As the good one, so it is to the sinner. Next. And he who swears as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. Next. And madness in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. And I love this, that Solomon already realized, and this is a New Testament thing that we see as well, where, where 
we're told everybody has sinned. There's nobody who's sinless. Well, Solomon said the same thing actually multiple times. He said, I've looked and even the righteous are sinners. He said, even a, a very righteous person. So you can recognize they're righteous. And he's like, they still have their sins. They still struggle with things. And so here he's, he's making a distinction between righteous in general and then the wicked. And then he goes on to say, but everybody's wicked. I mean, everybody in their heart, right? they, they have wickedness. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 through 12. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, meaning there was people who were faster. They should have won the race, but it doesn't always go that way. Nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. Here it is. But time and chance happen to them. Time and chance happen to them. This is Solomon basically saying, it's not always God. It's not always the devil. There's time and chance. Things happen. You get in an accident. A, a disease comes. It's not always God. It's not always Satan. Time and chance happen. Put that one on your refrigerator. <laughs> For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So we don't know what will happen in life. Finally, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Uh, through 14. This is like his summary of all of Ecclesiastes, which really was just a book of philosophical musings of like, how can this stuff be? And this is his beautiful conclusion to it. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he's saying, look, you saw the righteous die young. You saw the wicked flourish. Leave it in the hands of God. In the end, he will judge their deeds when they stand before him. It will all be taken care of. There will be perfect justice. But on this earth, time and chance happens to everybody. These things happen. Disasters, things happen. And so sometimes in the Old Testament and in the New, God took credit for certain things, for certain disasters. Other times, there's no credit given to it, and God doesn't take credit. So it can become very bad to always assume it. It can also become bad to say he would never. Of course he would. This is what history has shown us, that he did multiple times. And even in the New Testament, he still did. Uh, all right, so we'll put that one to bed. Um, another thing I want to address is that oftentimes, and again, I'm a fellow charismatic. I believe God can heal today. I believe he does use people as the Spirit wills. He can uh, apportion giftings, and, and we use those giftings. And God gets all the credit, of course. But oftentimes in, in some churches, there is a setting up of an environment that supports false healings, a setting up of an environment that supports false signs and wonders, that supports uh, us imagining things in our minds and saying it must be God. Um, and the reason it supports that is because it's so encouraged and so emphasized and there's no accountability checks. There's no like, like Paul describes, again, if we're going with... 1 Corinthians 12 and the following chapters, he says, when somebody prophesies, everybody else in the room is supposed to test the word and determine whether it was from God or not. 
we don't really see that encouraged in, in, in most churches that support prophecy. It's kind of just like, like, awesome. It's like, well, wait a minute. What if there was something wrong in that word? Let's examine it. Let's look at it. Um, and the reason that false healings get propagated sometimes is because there's such an overemphasis that every Christian, and remember last week we looked at, must be healing the sick. There are multiple teachers that say that. You must be healing the sick or you're not preaching the gospel. You must be healing the sick or you're not in the fullness of God or however they want to word it, even though Scripture doesn't support that. But when you emphasize that everybody needs to heal the sick, prophesy, have encounters, um, you're making a way for people to force the Spirit to move in ways that it's not His will to move. In which case, you will get things from the demonic, you will get things from your own mind. That will, it will simply happen when we try to dictate that we know God's will and that He ought to listen to us, as opposed to the scriptural way of looking at things. Is And we're going to look at this next week. We don't have time this week. But next week, we're going to look at, um, if you ask anything in my name, it'll be done for you, right? We're going to look at how that scripture is misused horribly and how, again, somebody's just trying to take that one scripture instead of all the scriptures about prayer that clarify a bunch of things and basically say, if you're not asking something according to his will, of course it's not going to happen. <laughs> like, it has to be directly according to his will, and then, boom, of course it will happen. But when it's told that we know it's always God's will to heal, false healings will happen. An example of this is that people have had to come up with their own theologies of why people lose their healing. I remember hearing that a long time ago, lose their healing. What does that mean? Lose their healing? And, and I just thought, is, is there any scripture where Jesus healed somebody and they lost the healing? Is there, is there scripture uh, that indicates that anybody anywhere in scripture was healed radically of something and then the sickness came back on them? There's not one. When, when you're healed, you're healed. Jesus didn't tell the paralyzed man, get up, and then he fell down halfway home. He, he was healed. Um, but oftentimes what happens is people will say, like, don't even say things like, oh, we'll see in three days if it still feels better, because that's a lack of faith. No, it's not. It's common sense. If God healed you, you're healed, and it's wonderful, and it ought to be celebrated. But sometimes what happens is simply called the placebo effect, and this is something we need to acknowledge. It's in scientific uh, teachings and writings and studies that are, that are well thought out, and it applies across the board to all kinds of people. Your adrenaline, your endorphins, the power of your thoughts can convince you that you're feeling better. This is just true. When I play volleyball, I will dive from here to, to that wheat on my chest to save a ball, and I feel no pain. Why? Because my adrenaline and my endorphins and these chemicals are firing off in my body that bolster and actually make you be able to, to take that. Right now, if I dove over to Logan on my chest, I, I'd be, you know, taken out of here in, in, a, uh, you know, in a stretcher. Like, it, it's amazing. Our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, and there are amazing things they can do. I worked in the medical field for 11 years. If you, someone's in horrible pain, if you can get them talking about something they love, it's not only that they forgot they're in pain, it's that their brain releases chemicals where they do not feel the pain anymore. It's amazing. It's miraculous. It's, it's an awesome 
coping mechanism that when we fix our eyes on things above, not on things of this world, but whatever's good and pure and holy, this actually helps bolster and remove some of the pain. And unfortunately, sometimes this is what's happening when somebody says, wow, my shoulder feels completely better. Well, they've been in a meeting where they've been hyped up, where they've been assured they're going to be healed, where, where, where their emotions are high and raw and all these endorphins are going, all these things, and they're convinced they're healed, when in actuality, not always, but when in actuality, it may just be the placebo effect. It may just be, and that's why three days later, they're like, oh man, it, it hurts just like it was. Well, in actuality, it's not that you were ever healed, it's that the placebo effect took place. And they've done studies with this where they give people pills that have zero medicinal value. But because the person believes it has medicinal value, they actually feel better and actually have a decrease in bad symptoms. It's amazing. It, 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 it is truly fascinating that our bodies can do that. Unfortunately, sometimes this stuff would never be discussed in some churches. And yet it should be. Uh, it, if you're healed, you're healed indeed. If you got physically healed, you would see it in a week to come. It's not that you lost your healing. It's that maybe you got hyped up. But again, in some churches, it's like, it's like hush, oh, don't, don't say maybe I'm not healed. We'll see in three days because you have a lack of faith. No, you don't. That's not what that means. Faith is simply trust in God. That's what, that's what faith means. It's, it's not blind faith. It's trust. It's that you believe. When I pray for people, I'm like, I 100% believe you can heal this person. And so I ask, Lord, if it's your will, heal him. Like, of course he can. We believe that. Um, all right, we'll move on from that one. But again, I believe in true miracles. I've seen them happen. I have seen somebody be healed of something and still healed of it today. And it's amazing and wonderful when it happens. But as we looked at last week, it's always to lead us to repentance. It's to lead us to an acknowledgement that we should listen to his words now. And this is what Jesus consistently did. He healed people and then he was like, listen to my words. Remember last week we looked at John 6 where a whole crowd, he rebukes the crowd. It's a long chapter, John 6 that somebody made that chapter. Uh, but it's a long section where this crowd's following him and Jesus rebukes him from the get-go and he says, you guys just want to see more signs and wonders. And he says, you don't want to hear my words. And then he shares words for this whole chapter and everybody leaves. Everyone but the 12 disciples. That's it. Well, hearing and obeying Jesus is far more important than your physical healing. Far more important. And he called them out on it. He said, you guys just want to see cool things. You want to be healed. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you how to live a holy life and how you have to follow me. I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. They all left. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to repent of their sins. Which is more miraculous for a people who get absolutely everything they want and so they love God? <laughs> everything material that they want, everything in life that they want, or a people who can be downtrodden, who can go through trials and tribulation and are absolutely in love with God. Which is more miraculous? I think the latter is far more miraculous and demonstrates that there is a spiritual healing that takes place in the heart of a believer who is so overjoyed that their sins have been forgiven that everything else in life, what did Paul say? He said, it's not worth talking about. And Paul literally said, I've been through terrible things. And he listed them all off. And he's like, who cares? He said, it's not worth comparing to the glory I have in Christ Jesus. 
because he recognized the deeper, more amazing truth of the gospel that his sins have been forgiven. That all this reminiscing that Solomon talked about, Paul realized, wait a minute, when I stand before him, I'll be judged on the basis of Christ Jesus and his blood for me because he's wiped away my sins. Like this is the radical news of the gospel that he can forgive us of our sins. Uh, tuck your toes in. They're ready to be stepped on. <laughs> it's for myself too. We've all, we all do this. Sometimes we expect God to heal us of our ailments that we 100% bring upon ourselves. 100% bring upon ourselves through poor life choices, drugs, alcohol, poor diet, lack of exercise. We actually have these amazing bodies that he gave us that literally talk to us. You know how they talk to you? When you eat good and exercise, your body says, I like this. I feel good. I, I get less sick. I, I have energy. And then when we don't, our body talks to us and says, I feel run down. I feel like this is just common sense. And yet oftentimes we treat our bodies very badly and then expect that God ought to heal those bodies that we were treating badly. This is completely different than somebody who just gets a terrible disease out of nowhere or a, or a child who's born into sickness or just, just some plague, like something that's outside of your control. Those things are a tragedy. They're sad. I remember talking to a nurse once, and I was, I was saddened by this certain patient, and I was talking about it, and she was like, well, they did it to themselves. Did you read this on their history? And I was like, yeah, but it's still sad. And she was like, well, I don't want anyone to be sad for me. I've done this and this and this to my body. I eat this. I don't, I don't exercise. She was like, when I die, no one should feel bad for me. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a realistic assessment. It really was. Um, and yet I still said, I, we still have these hearts that grieve over these things, and that, that's okay. Um, but, you know, I'm speaking to myself here. I, I know when I've dieted or ate right, tried to make it a lifestyle choice, I feel so much better. And many of you have done that, and then you've reverted back to other ways, right? And then we expect God to heal us of certain things that are actually caused by our own choices. And this is something we, we just have to actually recognize. Now, I could be wrong because it's just my opinion, uh, but 11 years in the medical field, I, I started to realize it seems like 90% of the people who are sick, it's often self-inflicted through lifestyle choices. Or um, they get sick with something, and because they're already so unhealthy from lifestyle choices, that thing takes them down as opposed to having a good immune system and being very healthy, right? Does that make sense? I mean, I saw, I saw a 27-year-old die once of pneumonia. This is not something that typically kills 27-year-olds, but he was morbidly obese, and he was unable to fight against it, and it's tragic and horrible, and yet, for sure, that was part of the cause, that he would have been able to fight against it uh, had it not been that way, and so it's, it's tragic, it's sad, but we need to sober up and realize sometimes that a lot of the things, sicknesses and things we deal with there are natural solutions to get better for a lot of these things. But simply, for the sake of enjoyment, we don't do them. <laughs> for the sake of laziness sometimes, for the sake of all kinds of things, we can all make every excuse. We can write them all down and we'll then just burn them because usually they're pretty, pretty dumb. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, Matthew 10, 
We're all okay. You can bring your toes out again. It's fine. <laughs> Matthew 10, verse 1, and then verses 5 through 8. Now, first, this is a, a common scripture that is quoted by those who would tell you that you can heal all the sick, you can raise all the dead, if you just have faith, Logan. If you just have faith, every single one of you can do this. Again, says who? Does scripture actually teach that? And so one that I've heard people say this. They say, you have no excuse to disobey this verse. And then they'll quote this verse. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, now freely give. Okay, well, let's look at the context. Context is key, right? Jesus summoned and he called to him his 12 disciples. Who? 12 disciples. And he gave them, sorry, go back. Went, went too far. Uh, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Who did he give authority? The 12 disciples. Every single person? Is this a universal command? Again, we, we have to decipher. There are specific commands for specific times, and then there are universal commands that apply to everybody, just like Jesus. The specific command for him for 30 years was not to heal any sick people, right? He didn't do that for 30 years. That was the specific command for a specific time, and then he went into this three and a half years where he did a lot of healings and he demonstrated who he was. But this specific time, he, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And then it describes who the 12 disciples were. And then next, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Does that sound like a universal command to be, to be listened to at all times? I hope you all realize, no, okay? They had a specific command to only go to Israelites, period. Don't go to any Gentiles. That command quickly changed after Jesus ascended on high, and then he said, go to all nations, but for the time that Jesus was there, there was a specific command to these disciples to only go to the Israelites because they were God's chosen people through whom the Messiah would come. So salvation was offered to them first, then to the rest of the nations. That's the narrative we see over and over. And so this is directly attached to, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. So this is a specific command, a specific will of God for the disciples. And as you follow the narrative, they went through multiple towns and Jesus followed after them. That's what happened. And when they get to the end of the towns, they say, oh my goodness, we're amazed. The demons listened to us. Like the sickness just like obeyed in your name when we prayed. And, and they're blown away. They're, they're amazed by it. But many would take this to say, this is a power that they were given for all time, and every single one of you have that power as well, as opposed to realizing that the context says this was given to them for a specific assignment. Luke 5, 12 through 17. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I've heard this one preached over and over to say, we never have to ask if it's God's will to heal because clearly it is. Is that what the context says? Or is it not saying for this specific person, 
it was Jesus' will to heal him. And so what happens is, again, three and a half years, and not just three and a half years, one example becomes somebody's template for all their theology. Let's just keep reading. And he charged him to go tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. This was Torah observant law, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered for two purposes. So imagine this, this, this report has gone abroad. This guy's been healed of leprosy. Great crowds are coming and they're here for two purposes, to hear him speak and to be healed of their infirmities, right? Is it your will to heal us, Lord? Here we all are. He withdrew to a desolate place to be by himself. Why? Well, because he was listening to the Father. The Father said, no, it's not time to heal right now. Leave. And, and this is consistent throughout Scripture. We have times where Jesus spoke to a whole crowd and he didn't heal anybody. And then he leaves. Um, if you go ahead and go to the next one. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Question, why does that need to be told to us if it's always God's will to heal? It's a, it's a moot point. It doesn't even need to be said. But in fact, there were specific times where Jesus knew there was power on him as led by the Spirit, as led by the Father, where it was time to heal. Otherwise, this makes no sense. We don't need to be told that. It should say it's always there. He's always willing to heal. No, instead it says in this specific time, there was power on Jesus to heal the sick. And there's specific other times where he does not heal the sick. And again, this is a common saying thrown around in, in some movements where they'll just say he healed everybody who ever came to him. That's just not true. We just read a, a scripture that said he didn't do that. They came for healing and he left. That's what happened. We saw in John 6, they came for more signs, more healings, and he drives them away through preaching. <laughs> okay? Like we, we see this consistently. He did not heal every person who came to him. Instead, they take anecdotal times where somebody asked for healing and Jesus was willing to heal. And that's wonderful and it should be rejoiced over. And almost all times, there's a call to repentance from it. There's a call to recognize who he is and that we should hear his words and obey him now. In Acts 1, verse 8, because many will say that's a universal command that was given to the disciples. They, they just have this power on them to heal everybody. And that you as well, it's a universal command to every one of you. But then Jesus, after he had resurrected and before he ascended on high, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What do they need to receive that power for if they had a universal command that they can always do these things? Because it wasn't a universal command. It was a specific time where they went through these cities and they were amazed. We even have examples in the Gospels where they couldn't heal sick people where the apostles or the disciples struggled and they couldn't heal. Um, and he says to them, you guys will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. But he doesn't say it's power to heal the sick. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then not surprising, in Acts 2, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the first 
power being poured out on them. Go ahead and go and read Acts 2. Zero people got healed. That mighty power came upon them. And what happened? Peter preached a message and it says people were cut to the heart. And they said, how do we get saved? And he said, repent, you wicked, adulterous, evil people. Repent of your sins. Rend your hearts. Give your life to the Messiah. He came for you. This A radical, powerful message is given to them about their need for a Savior. And 3,000 give their life to Jesus as Messiah and recognize that he rose from the dead and ascended on high. Zero people get healed. That's the power that came upon them. It was a power to demonstrate the gospel, to preach the gospel, and to see people saved. Then, of course, there's kind of this oddity that um, if the power of the Spirit came upon 120 in the upper room, why does it then simply list that the apostles performed signs and wonders? What about the other 120? Well, the Spirit apportions as He wills. And it just so happened that these 12 apostles happened to be a portion, giftings of faith, giftings of, of healings at times, and at times they didn't. Paul left one of his friends sick to the point of death, couldn't heal him. Okay, so they didn't, they didn't think they always had this operating. And in fact, it's very common in the Bible to see the power of God come upon somebody for a specific purpose and then lift. Now, the Holy Spirit, of course, he's with you if you're a child of God and you're forgiven of your sins. That's your standing in God. But then to assume that these gifts of the Spirit, that you can just have access to them whenever you want, according to how I will, not according to how he wills and how he sees fit and what timing he sees fit, but according to how I will, would be stepping outside of Scripture. And look at Acts 4, 29 through 31. We're coming into a landing here. Now the Lord looked upon their threats, or now, sorry, Peter praying, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So Peter's asking for boldness. He, he still needs it. It's not something innate inside of him now as a believer. He still needs God's help. And then he says, while you, speaking to the Lord, stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through your name. Uh, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So Peter is praying, asking for God to stretch out his hand and heal. Why are you doing that, Peter? You have the power within you. The Holy Spirit gave it to you. You have authority over everything. Peter didn't recognize that. He recognized we ask him according to his will, and he'll stretch out his hand and heal at times. This is what Peter recognized, and this is what all the apostles recognized. And next week, we'll go into far more detail on scriptures that say whatever you ask in his name he'll give it to you whatever you ask and we're just going to show how those are misused and we're going to look at next week what does it mean to pray and you know i've i've shared in weeks past already that sometimes in the charismatic movement the need for prayer is gone everything is just command it just command it just command it where are we told to do that why are we told over and over to pray and that word literally means ask petition make a request why is Peter asking and petitioning for healing if it's already within him? He just needs more faith. We have it figured out. Peter didn't. He needed more faith. Um, and ben, but look what happens. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do with this Holy Spirit filling them? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
That was the objective. That was the goal, is that this message of the gospel, it has nothing to do with physical healings. It's far greater than that. Physical healings, signs and wonders, they are only to indicate that we should turn to God. That's, that's their purpose. But they don't actually, it's kind of like uh, somebody's just bleeding out, just gushing. That's their sin nature. That's the, the doom that's coming. And we see uh, back pain and chronic pain, and it's like a scratch this big, comparatively. I'm not making light of our ailments. They hurt. They're awful. But your sin nature is like it's just gushing out of your neck, and someone comes along and puts the Band-Aid on. Jesus loves you. Goodness gracious, they're bleeding. They're going to die. Their sin nature will bring the wrath of God upon them. That's the important thing in the gospel. That has to be addressed. Otherwise, it's a cheap imitation. And finally, the power of God, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. It came upon Gideon for a specific time, and it lifted. It came upon Samson, it lifted. It came upon Elijah and Elisha, and it lifted. Elijah, by the power of God, called down fire out of heaven, and he even says in his prayer before them all that he knew God was going to do it because God told him ahead of time. It's not like he just went with blind faith and used the power of his words. God told him. And what happened after that? That power lifted, and Elijah ran into the desert. He was terrified. He thought he was going to be killed. Well, why? Because he wasn't feeling that power. He didn't have that foreknowledge that the Father showed him. We see this with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Saul, who prophecy came upon him, and then it lifted. David and his mighty men had many situations where the power of God came upon for a certain specific task, and then it lifted. This is a common thing to see in Scripture, and it's very common in the New Testament as well. That's all. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, just that, that's all. Uh, Lord, thank you for this um, day. Thank you for your word. Uh, teach us, God, to not take your word out of context. Teach us to study. Uh, please, Lord, don't let anybody pers any person here just take everything I said as gold. Let them test it themselves and study scripture. And if there's any disagreement, wonderful. Let's, let's dig deeper together. And God, um, we just ask that you would guide us and teach us by your word, and we subject ourselves, we yield to your word. In your name, Lord, amen.